everyone, welcome to another episode of the Asian Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Meghla Bhardwaj. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about product selection and validation. And to talk about this really very important topic, I've got my good friend with me, Chris Thomas from the Australian Seller Podcast. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Megla. Uh, thank really, you so it's much. A, it's great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. In fact, I'm surprised why didn't we do this before? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but hey, we're here, yeah. so it's yeah, good. Let's do it. Exactly. All right. <laughs> so yeah, today's topic, you know, is product selection and validation. We've talked about this so many times before, you know, in the, in the sourcing trip and webinars that we've done with Tim, with you, with Brandon. But I feel that this is such an important topic, especially for sellers in Asia. Um, they struggle with this a lot. So I thought, you know, um, you've got a lot of experience. You've been selling on Amazon for quite a few years. Mm. And so it'd be great if you could help, you know, share some of your strategies and what's really worked for you in the past. So before we go into all of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you end up in Amazon and how do you help Amazon sellers? So this actually began in like 1992 and I created a product. I started doing e-commerce in the year 2000. So I kind of finally got around to commercializing it. Um, so I've been selling online as an e-commerce, I don't know, seller for uh, coming up on 20 years now. And, um, and then in 2014, the end of 2013, 2014, Amazon really started to cover my radar because the, the amazing selling machine was starting to push, I think it was ASM1. Jeez, I wish I'd joined that. But anyway, uh, and so that's when I sort of first saw the Amazon opportunity. Uh, and then shortly after that, I started selling on Amazon myself. Uh, we'd actually moved as a family to Hong Kong. So it was from Hong Kong that I kind of got everything set up and was able to uh, to start selling on Amazon. So I've had, uh, yeah, six pretty good years on Amazon. It's been a little lumpy at times, but generally it's been amazing. And, uh, but that's also combined with my website and e-commerce sales too. And uh, so these days, uh, I've got a bit of a jack of all trades. I have a foot in a lot of different kind of pies, fingers in pies. Um, so I, I have a podcast, I have a Facebook group, uh, just because I, I really enjoy you know, giving back to the community as best I can and helping out folks um, some often through coaching. So I do a lot of private coaching as well, particularly with um, new and established sellers and brands. So I do help some brands also sell on the platform too and help them introduce themselves to Amazon and yeah, try and make sure they don't mess it up. So that's a potted history to try to make it as short as I can, but that's, that's my story. Awesome. And of course, you're also a coach on India Sourcing Trip. So you were with us uh, on, India, yes. on India Sourcing Trip in October and you're coming back in April. So I can't wait. It was yeah. just life changing. It was so good. Yeah. Amazing trip. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So um, product selection. So in your view, is this an art, you know, where you use your judgment and you see what trends there are out there or is it or should people approach this as a science, you know, use data and, and strictly use data and don't use any, you know, personal judgment when selecting products? Uh, yeah. So that's a great question. I think it's, um, look, it's a little bit of both, but I'm definitely leaning a lot more these days towards the data side. The reason for that is, uh, look, I, I remember I sourced a product a few years ago. I found it on Australian. I'll just tell you a story. Okay. So just to give you an example of sort of gut feel versus data. So I had this little product that I found on australianmade.com.au. Uh, and this is where a whole bunch of Australian made products uh, 
presented to the world by by members you know and so um, there's a lot of often new inventions and new ideas and and new products that, that sort of pop up there and maybe once a month I'll go and check and see if there's any kind of ideas for products and one of these products that I saw there uh, sold by this wonderful couple called uh, Dave and Amanda who live up in Brisbane which is uh, north of where I live in Melbourne here in Australia and they had this little product called the baby focus rattle I think if you tried to do a search on it on Amazon, you still wouldn't find it, but it's, it's somewhere in there. If you do a phone rattle baby focus or those sort of keywords, you'll find the product. And what happened was that, that um, what, basically what the product is, is that you, it kind of clips onto your phone and it's got a little wheel and you can spin the wheel. And what that means is, is that if you're trying to take a picture of your baby, who of course they never want to look at a camera, you can, you can attract the baby's attention by, by, spinning this little wheel and, and, and it rattles and, and it's colorful and it's great. So brilliant product. Don't get me wrong. And I just thought, Oh, this would be a smash on Amazon gut feel, uh, ordered quite a few hundred of these fantastic little baby focuses, uh, set them over to Amazon was building out a listing. And then I got to the point where I thought, what keywords do I optimize this baby focus rattle for? Is it a baby rattle? Well, it's not that, um, no one was looking for, baby attention seeking devices or something so I could take a photo. <laughs> so I couldn't find the keyword. So basically we were, I was cooked. And uh, so then of course I was then resorting to, all right, well maybe I'll advertise the product, um, you know, on, on search terms like keywords, like uh, uh, gifts for new mums and, and gifts for expecting mums or something. Uh, and they were really expensive keywords. And on a product that's only worth uh, that I was selling, I think I was retailing it for around about $18, like, you know, two or three clicks and your profit's gone. So, uh, so now there's, I think there's about 40 units left on Amazon and I sell probably one of them a month <laughs> if someone <laughs> happens to stumble across it. So, so that was a bit of a disaster. So to, to really get back to your original question, um, yeah, I like to use a lot more data and not science, but certainly data and um, than I do okay. with just straight gut feel. Oh, it's a great product. Let's just throw it up and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just try and make sure there's some demand, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Hope that yeah, answers that, your question. Yeah, definitely. That totally makes sense. So then where do you recommend sellers to start looking for products and where do we, where do they go to actually, you know, look for, first of all, should they be looking for products or should they be looking for keywords, right? There's um, a distinction um, there. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm a really, I think you can do both. I think okay. if you do find an awesome product, like a baby focus rattle, as long as that product has some demand of some description, particularly from a keyword demand perspective. And that's where I think a lot of sellers make either Two mistakes. So either go in for keywords that have got way too much demand, you know, more than 20, 30,000 searches a month, even higher, um, you know, as the tools sort of tell us through Helium 10 and whatnot and Jungle Scout, but, um, or there's just none. And yeah, you know, that was a baby focus problem. So um, if I see a lot of sellers um, often try and take a, a small slice of a very big pie, that's a huge mistake. And, uh, you know, I've had students that have come to me and they've already like trying to sell a water bottle on Amazon. I mean, just no, don't do that. Um, and then I've got others that are doing something so obscure that it's just, I just can't see how this can work. But to get back to your original question of uh, where can people find products, um, then I think the answer sort of lies in pretty much everywhere. So it can be trade shows, uh, which is one of my favorites. I've sourced a lot of successful products out of trade shows. Um, I've also, uh, would recommend, you know, obviously on Amazon itself, but perhaps, uh, be a bit careful there, uh, together with, uh, you know, 
uh, websites like Etsy, Pinterest, you know, the sort of Tim Jordan approach where he, he gets very creative in terms of he sees demand for a product uh, and then he'll find people on Pinterest and Etsy that might be solving that product solution um, differently to what's already on Amazon. So that, so he's looking for, he's got the demand. He's just looking for something a little bit differentiated that, that is, you know, where a product is um, created differently or, or uses a different material or a different pattern or it's a different shape or whatever. So, so I think they're the, they're probably the big go-tos for me uh, in terms of, you know, where I source products, but I also see things in catalogs and all sorts of weird and wonderful places, you know, it's just, yeah, it can be anywhere as long as there's demand. Do you also look at Amazon's bestseller lists at all? Not at all. No. Okay. I don't think I ever have, to be honest. Yeah, I think okay. that's uh, that's quite risky to to head in there. I think you, sometimes you can also get yourself in like a trendy product uh, without even realizing it. So if you're not using Google Trends to look at sort of keyword demand over time for a product or or a keyword in this case, um, you've got to really understand the seasonality or whether something's really trending hotly. You know, obviously there's a big uh, fidget spinner kind of example, and there's many others that I can think of over the years that. Um, you know, that, that can get people in a lot of trouble where they, they, they just come in too late on that sort of thing. And it's totally saturated by the time they actually get their product onto Amazon. Cause you've also got to think about the lead time as well. Like, you know, wow. So fidget spinners are going off. Um, I've got to get some samples sent to me wherever you live in the world. And that can take a few weeks. And then, you know, by the time you actually place an order and, and get the QC done and then get it C freighted or air freighted into Amazon, often you just don't know what's behind you. You don't know what's coming in and you can just be totally swamped. And by the time you get there, you're so late to the party that, you know, it's all over. You've got no chance. And for a lot of new sellers, that can kind of really hurt. It can send people, I wouldn't say broke, but it certainly can put people into a situation where they're financially incredibly stretched. Uh, And if you don't live in America as well, for a lot of us um, Asian sellers and international sellers, trying to find a solution where you've got a lot of inventory sitting with Amazon costing you a lot of money, um, you know, as, as the long-term storage fees and all the other fees sort of build up over time and you're not selling, um, that's a, another big financial risk. You know, you've got all the inventory sitting there that you paid for, your cash flow is massively impacted uh, and you've got to figure out a way to solve the problem and you either, you know, try and sell it on eBay, but you've got to remove the inventory. So there's just a lot of, you know, risk involved uh, if you're not careful about validating and making sure that you're, you know, you're sourcing products or, or doing product selection um, carefully. Yeah. Right. So let's say I'm at a trade show or maybe I'm looking at a catalog and I think I, I found a great product and it looks really good and it excites me. It solves a problem that maybe I have. What next? How do you validate, validate demand for that product on Amazon? I think the first thing, again, getting back to the keywords, really boring, but uh, super important is to, to see there's two things that I like to do. First of all, um, if there's quite low keyword demand on the, on the main keyword that I, um, that I would expect people to find that product through on Amazon, then it, then I start using um, tools like Cerebro and, you know, I'm probably going to give a huge plug here to Helium 10, uh, but I'll use tools like Cerebro to, to grab and, and perhaps a little hat tip as well, of course, to Brandon Young, but I'll try and grab products that are very similar uh, to the thing that I found and I'll grab all of their ASINs or, uh, you know, the, the I'm, sh- I'm sure many of you listeners know what an ASIN is. And I'll yes, pop that into yes. Cerebro, which is a reverse ASIN search lookup. And what it does is it finds all of the keywords that the products that are found on Amazon are indexed for or rank for. Somewhere on Amazon, you will find those products for those various keywords. 
uh, whether they're on page one or whether they're on page, you know, 306 or whatever <laughs> uh, is debatable. But the point is, is that Amazon um, kind of indexes products. So from there, I can then get a, what I call a sort of a master look at, okay, so there's lots of keywords. It wasn't just the one that I thought it was. There's actually lots of different pathways to, for, that people are finding this product, lots of different keywords and ways that they, they search. And so if you can kind of stack all of those keywords and, and think to yourself, all right, well, actually, there's now quite a lot of demand. I might have just had a few hundred on the first keyword that I thought about. But now I'm seeing that there's quite a few thousand people who are, who are finding this product through lots and lots of different keywords. Um, then I can go, right, well, I need to get all these keywords into my listing. So I get indexed for those keywords as well. And then, of course, there's a launch to try and rank on as many of those keywords as you possibly can. So, um, so that's what, sort of where I start is to, is it enough demand? Um, you know, to, to uh, you know, on that particular product. And then I sort of hopefully can take it from there. Okay. So first of all, like how many searches, what's the search volume that you're looking at um, for on the main keyword? That's one question. And mm-hmm. then can you give an example of, um, you know, the secondary keywords or long tail keywords mm-hmm. that you're looking for? Do you have a specific example that you can give to kind of illustrate, you know, what, how to think about uh, these long tail keywords. Oh, do I have a specific example? Not off the top of my head, um, okay. but I think people can kind of use their imagination. Like there's yeah. usually a head, head term. So you want to want to not definitely don't try and rank on a single keyword on Amazon right. or try and <laughs> try and optimize just your listing for one thing. Um, it's usually two and upwards to five or six, seven keywords. Uh, there was something I was looking at the other day. Actually, I presented it last night, which was pillar, uh, candle holders for pillar pillar candles, I think it was, which is an okay. Indian sort of type sourcing product. I was sort of showing that as an example. There's about two and a half thousand people a month on Amazon, uh, according to Helium 10, um, who are searching for, I honestly can't remember exactly what the search term was. I'd probably have to bring it back up, but it's about a free, four, four or five word um, length search term, um, which has quite a lot of demand. Uh, and then when you hit Amazon, there's not a lot of competition. So, uh, you know, I could go, I could go for something like candle holder, Mm-hmm. But this is quite specific and I think sometimes it's really important to be really laser focused on the intent of the search. People tend to start with a head term, candle holder, right? But then they kind of see all the different types of candle holders, it might be square ones and round ones and I don't know, chandeliers or whatever they are. But um, but what they do is they, they kind of get to Amazon, they go, oh, actually, I want a pillar you know, I want a sort of a, a, a pillar type candle holder that's going to suit my decor best or whatever. So um, what we're, what, when you're selling a product and it is that exact thing, it's really important to, um, you, you know, to, to be really clear, uh, cause Amazon can't see your product. doesn't have eyes. Uh, it can't touch it. It's all it's got is the keywords that you're using in your, in your listing. Right. So, right. um, so, so it's really important to be really focused on just the keywords that are the most relevant. I, I see a lot of people like if they, for example, like water bottle, for example, is a really good example. If you try and, uh, compete on that search term on this keyword water bottle, you're cooked. You don't stand a chance. But if you are, uh, you have a differentiated water bottle that is like it has LED flashing lights or there's some special feature of it that also sprays you with a mist or something like that, then they're the sort of search terms that you really, really need to go after. So, um, you know, really niche within a niche is, you know, as the guys from Amazing Freedom, Liran and, and Andy and, and Nathan talk about, niche within a niche is really important. So, yeah. Um, sorry, okay. I kind of almost forgotten what the question was. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I can yeah. just go on and on. <laughs> yeah, I think that helps. And then uh, what is this sort of Sorry. search volume that you're looking for, you know, overall, you know, for oh, that's all right. of the yeah. keywords and then maybe for the main keyword? Um, look, I don't, uh, I think if there's, look, yeah, is there a minimum? I don't think there is. Uh, I, I think it's as long as you can probably get about, well, uh, over about two and a half thousand searches a month is close to three a hundred people a day who would be looking for that particular thing right now at a hundred people a day you've got a lot of competition typically on page one uh, so they've got you know 16 up to 32 or 48 choices of products that they can choose from so you kind of need that level of I guess search intent and volume uh, to to really get an understanding of you know just to get a slice of of that market. So obviously the holy grail is that you're looking for something where there's quite a lot of demand and very, very little competition so that when people do come in on that particular keyword, um, you're kind of standing out like the proverbial doggies, um, you know, bodies. So the, that's sort of the, um, the approach where it, even if this volume is low, but there's a lot of competition, I wouldn't go near it, you know, obviously. So, but if there's, if the competition, if the competition is low, Sorry, did I say low and high? I think I got that the wrong way around. If the competition is low and the and the volume's high, then that's sort of where you where you want to play. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not that fussed, but I tend not to go for anything over about fifteen or twenty thousand searches a month. I think that's uh, particularly as a new seller. I think if you're big and established and you've got cash flow and you can do all those things, then yeah, absolutely go for it. Of course. Okay. Okay. Mm. So the key is to really find niches, uh, product mm. niches, and maybe long tail keywords, and and look for different like variations of the search terms that people are using to look for that kind of product. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there any product categories that you would advise sellers to avoid, especially people who are just starting (laughs) out? I mean, you just mentioned in a very high search volume and single phrases like water bottles and stuff like that, but are there any specific categories or Mm -hmm. any types of products that sellers should avoid, especially when they're starting out? Um, absolutely. So if you're starting out and you want to sell supplements, <laughs> run okay. away. If you want to sell like CBD cannabis oil, run a mile, just to, please don't do that. Um, often there's a lot of gated categories that are, you need to be a bit careful about as well. So often new sellers won't be allowed to sell, um, you know, things like, uh, food or, or beauty products, anything topical. So topical meaning anything that goes on the body in the body. Um, I think they're probably the two big things. So, um, and there's a handful of others as well. And sometimes too, there's seasonal things that really catch new sellers out. So for example, with the toys category, Amazon can be very um, specific about who's allowed to sell toys over Christmas, for example. Okay. So a lot of sellers can sort of go, Oh, great. I'm approved to sell toys and they've sourced the toys and they're ready to go for Q4. And all of a sudden um, the rug is pulled out from underneath them and, suddenly they don't have approval and they've already ordered something and, you know, they're really cooked until after Christmas. And of course you're a little bit sort of done after that, aren't you? So um, there's just a lot of little trips and traps that you need to watch out for and, um, you know, hazardous materials, anything with batteries obviously can be problematic, particularly if you're shipping lithium ion by air. <laughs> so it can be expensive or not possible. Uh, and anything that, uh, often would require quite a lot of certification from Amazon in order to be able to sell it. So an FDA approval can be a nightmare if you're sourcing from outside the United States, you know, whether it's food or some kind of medical device or something. Um, there's, there's just so many to just be really careful. Look at the restricted categories uh, as well on Amazon. So just do a Google search for restricted Amazon restricted categories and you'll find it as a new seller, what you can and 
can't do when you first start out. Um, so they're, they're probably the big kind of categories and there's probably a handful of others, but um, hopefully that points people in the right direction if they're thinking about something and they just want to be really careful that, um, you know, they, they can, um, they can sell those products, but also um, make sure they've got the certification. If Amazon comes asking for the certification, whether it's a safety data sheet or, or some other, you know, uh, document that they might require. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the categories that new sellers should try to sell? Look, the most common ones, I think, are home and garden, sports and outdoors. Um, you know, home and kitchen is a huge one for new sellers. Baby does okay, but also there are some subcategories of the baby niche that you want to be really careful of and make sure that you're not sourcing a product that, you know, a baby has to put in its mouth, for example, or whatever. Um, and again, make sure that you're certified. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of them all. There's probably some in the art and crafts area, which is which would be really good. I'd need to have a list of all of the categories that there are on Amazon <laughs> um, to to really pinpoint them all. But uh, again, uh, you know, if you know where you can't sell, then then focus in on where you can. Yeah. So they're they're probably the the main ones that I've mentioned. Okay, that makes sense. Mm. And then also. Does one have to really love the product that you're selling? I mean, do you have to be into the product? For example, if you're selling sports equipment, do you have to, you know, be a user of, of that equipment? Do you think that's important or does it not matter? Um, it does and it doesn't. So ideally, yes, you love the product and you're so happy about selling it and you're to- totally enthusiastic about it. And I think that actually helps your overall sort of brand and business. You can be setting up, you know, Facebook groups and, and um, email lists and all the other things that, you know, social stuff that you might want to do outside of Amazon to promote the brand that you're building around the product that you love. Um, but I, if you don't, and, but I think, and that, I think that's fine. Um, provided you've done all the, the validation, and everything else where if you're selling a product that you don't love or you don't like, it's really just a something that you found that is selling well. I think you definitely need to know the ins and outs of how the product is used um, you know, sort of any kind of customer inquiry that's going to come to you, you really need to know the, you know, the product, the materials it's made from, uh, what its capabilities are, uh, you know, instructions around how to use it properly. So there, you know, I don't think it matters, but I think it helps a bit if you're, if you're in love with, you know, your product. It okay. just depends, I think, on your personality and who you are. Yeah, yeah, that mm. makes sense. Okay, and what about selling, you know, large products? Like I know a lot of the experts out there, they say that your product should fit in a shoebox, or at least they used to say that, <laughs> uh, you know, small and lightweight and everything. But yeah. when we were at the fair in Delhi, we mm. saw a lot of, you know, like furniture, like side tables, and mm. there were rugs and you know, slightly bigger items as well. And they are already selling on Amazon, but of course, you know, new sellers, especially new sellers are kind of wary of those kinds of products because the storage fees can be pretty high and it can, you know, eat into Mm. your profit. So first of all, should people be looking at those kinds of products at all? And if they do, what, what are some of the strategies to, uh, you know, be able to sell those products profitably? Yes. And no, again, there's a lot, a lot of variation here. So I think if you've got got a, a good amount of capital up front, then larger products to sell on Amazon are okay, as long as they're profitable and you understand what the fees look like, understand what the shipping looks like. Um, you know, for example, just getting back to the India trip, um, you know, we saw several furniture manufacturers or booth owners, holders, stall holders that were selling flat pack furniture. 
And one in particular that really stood out to me was uh, where the owner had had sort of has seen the writing on the wall in terms of e-commerce. And so he'd actually hired a young uh, designer, I think from Denmark, his name was Fritz or Franz, uh, who his brief was to create flat pack furniture. So all the new furniture that they're creating is flat pack. And then what that means is that, uh, you know, you're, you're shipping a, 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 pa- a package to Amazon. That's really what Amazon cares about when, when it comes to fees is what's the dimensions of the product as it's shipped, not as it's sort of constructed in its final you know, dimensions. Right. Um, so, so I, I saw some really, really incredible designs there in India, you know, from, from some of those sort of designers where they're, they're flat packing a lot of um, products. But to get back to your original question of should a new seller be looking at uh, flat pack furniture, for example, or selling something that's big or bulky on Amazon? Um, yes, if the due diligence has been done, you understand all the costs that you're likely to incur. Um, you have a product that is validated, and we'll probably talk about pick food down the line here, but um, I'd be doing a lot of um, research. I wouldn't be gut feeling, oh, I love that piece of furniture, so therefore everybody on Amazon is going to love it. Um, I think it's really important to, uh, to, you know, to make sure that the, that your idea is, is properly validated and vetted before you then go and sell it and make sure you've got the cash flow to be able to reorder. The other last thing I'll mention about large items is that you, again, on cash flow, but also shipping, and this is where cash flow can be massively impacted is that you've got to um, order, order the product and then have it shipped. And it generally has to go by sea. Otherwise it's generally not going to be profitable. So, uh, you know, sea freight can really impact cash flow because you've got a lot of money tied up on a ship that's going to take five, six weeks, maybe longer, to get to an Amazon warehouse, and you don't have any of that cash. Uh, it's not, it's not selling, so you're not, you're not getting any cash flow through your business. So, yeah, I think you need quite deep budgets and pockets. But for a new seller, it's a, it's, it's a little risky. I think it could be a little risky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's that's sound advice, and. Uh, if one does decide to sell, you know, like these bulky items, larger items, is it better to store them in FBA uh, or, you know, an Amazon's warehouse, or maybe is it better to use like a 3PL warehouse and then drip feed into Amazon's warehouse? Yeah, that comes down to knowing your numbers and getting lots of quotes. So look, ideally, if you're, if you're a prime eligible product on Amazon, of course, you're, you're likely to rank a lot higher for the keywords, you know, that we come, keep coming back to for, for the, you know, what the product is. Uh, but at the same time, um, and Amazon customers really, uh, those sort of listings, a prime eligible listing or an FBA listing where you've actually storing your inventory with Amazon to take care of the fulfillment uh, tends to sell a lot better and has a much higher conversion rate. So therefore you're more likely to rank on those keywords. Mm. Um, but I do see a lot of sellers at sell furniture and, and, um, and other big, big and bulky items that actually fulfill themselves. So again, you're probably going to need some quotes from a 3PL in the US, uh, if that's your marketplace, uh, to, to really compare whether um, it's worth doing that. And so I do see a lot of sellers that, that kind of do a bit of a hybrid. So they don't store all their inventory with Amazon when they ship it. Um, they'll put quite a few pallets, say, into a 3PL, and then they'll drip feed small amounts just in time inventory back into Amazon um, to, to sort of make sure that they've got the inventory with Amazon. So they're prime eligible and that's, that's another way, but again, it's all comes down to, you know, knowing numbers. Right. Right. Makes sense. Mm. So what about uh, ROI or profit margin? Is there a specific, you know, ROI percentage that you're looking for when you're validating products? 
Uh, yeah, look, I, I really love Kevin King's freedom ticket as part of Helium yeah. 10 and he's really big on return on investment, you know, inventory turns. He's trying to look for products. I'll come to ROI in a second, but he's looking for products that, uh, you know, where he can hopefully turn them over three and as much as four or five times a year so that, you know, he might ship a hundred units, for example, uh, and he'll sell through those hundred units in three months. And then he's, you know, selling through the next hundred units in another three months. And so what that does is actually massively increases your return on investment, which means that you've got more money to reinvest in your business. So he's, he's looking for hundred percent return on uh, ROI. Uh, and I, I've had products, uh, I have some that are less than that and I have some that are a lot higher than that. Uh, certainly the ones that are a lot higher than that. Uh, yeah. There's a lot more cash flow and a lot more sort of capital coming back in to help grow. So uh, you know, you can be, this is where a lot of people get confused. Oh, the margin looks great. You know, maybe it's a, a you know, a 55% margin on, on paper. Uh, but if you're only selling, you know, five units a week or, you know, I don't know, five a month or something, then what's the point? You're going to get eaten up and all the other costs that your business incurs. So yeah, having that inventory turn, that ROI is super important. So hundred percent is what, what you're trying to aim for if you can get it. Okay. That makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about trade shows. A lot of people, uh, you know, sellers visit trade shows. I mean, India, of course, and there's Canton Fair, the Global Sources Fairs in Hong Kong, and then even EWU. I mean, it's not a trade show as such, but, you know, similar concept. So when people go to these trade shows or markets, should they have a product category in mind and say, okay, I'm going to look for, you know, so-and-so product, or should they just kind of have, um, you know, just, just an open mind and um, look for or try to find cool products, unique products, and then try to validate them. Again, I think it depends on who you are. I think if you're starting out and you're not sure and you haven't got your heart set on a particular category, then go with an open mind. Mm -hmm. If, uh, for example, with Alicia, you know, she was there on this on this trip, Oh, sorry, she was on the trip in, in October. She already has a product. So she was meeting with suppliers, but also sort of looking at maybe she could find someone else. So she was already in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think it depends a little bit. Certainly if you go to something like the Canton Fair, going with an open mind there is really scary <laughs> because it's just, <laughs> you know, and, and so I think sometimes it's, um, it's perhaps good to go, right, well, I'm really interested in selling this particular type of product. So you can really laser focus in on, on, on a certain section of a trade show or a certain date that, you know, there's certain products and booths that are there around that. So, um, yeah, you know, it depends a bit. But for certainly for new sellers, keep an open mind and, yeah, just wander along and hopefully you'll find something that, um, you know, really pops. We saw so many cool products in India. I just, I was, yeah. we're sport for choice. It was crazy. So, so, so some of the students that I'm coaching at the moment or just helping through, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they are going to be rich. Ooh. Like, I wish <laughs> I could have shared some of the products that I was talking about last night, but yeah, there's some really, they found some absolute winners as new sellers. So yeah, India's awesome. India's awesome. Yeah, that's really good to know. And the quality of the products was really good. I think that's what really stood out for, for many yeah. sellers. So yeah. Okay. So what about yeah, some of the tools blowing. that you use? So I know PicFu is one of your favorites and you use that a lot. Can you talk a little bit about PicFu and how you use it and also some of the other tools? Sure. Sure. Um, well, actually, um, PicFu was introduced to me way back, I think by Kevin King, um, back in, was it 2017 that we were there in Hong Kong together? I, I think it was. when he Yes, was probably. Yeah. yeah sounds that was when I was right. recording his session sideways. Anyway. Um, so he, um, 
so that was the first time I'd ever heard of Pickfu and, and I've been a huge fan ever since. And uh, so basically for anybody that's not really sure what Pickfu is, it's, it's a split testing tool uh, with real uh, people in America. Uh, and what it enables you to do is to, the way I tend to use it is I'll, I'll go, all right, I've got a differentiated product that I might've found on Pinterest or Etsy or trade show, whatever. And what I'll do is I'll look at something like the Amazon bestsellers product with the bestseller badge on Amazon. Uh, and then maybe also Amazon's choice, for example. So they're the two products that clearly Amazon customers like the most. They're, they're buying those particular two products um, more than many, many of the others that are on page one, right? So if you can take those, their main images and then you put up your differentiated product idea or photo. Um, so generally do a three split test. So there's three images. There's Amazon's choice, my product idea, and then the bestseller, Amazon's bestseller. What, what you do then is that you run a poll on PicFu, and this is, uh, you can have up to thousands of people if you want to, but generally you just need about 50 people, uh, which is a default. And you can choose, you can kind of refine the, the audience and you can ask them a question about the three products. Which product do you prefer and why? Um, and with, when you're refining the, the audience, you can actually um, specify that I just want to talk to Amazon Prime members who are, say, women. So it gets a little bit more expensive each time that you refine the audience down to you know, who you want to talk to. But generally, um, you don't want to talk to a general US audience. You want to talk to people that already shop on Amazon that might be women or men or, or whatever other interests that they've got. And so within about 20 minutes, um, you end up with an incredible uh, amount of feedback on your product idea. Uh, whether people like it or not, and you'll see whether you won the poll or not. So if you're sort of matching the others with your product idea, uh, then then you, you should be pretty close to being able to go ahead. I've had students that have run PICFO polls that have had up to 80, even higher, uh, over 80% of poll respondents preferred their differentiated design, pattern, color, uh, packaging, I think was another one, um, over what was already on Amazon's. So that that then is an absolute green light. You're onto something. The minute that this product appears on Amazon, on you know, against all the other competition, it's likely that people are going to go, oh, that looks good. Let's click that. Let's find out more about it. Let's buy it. So, yeah, PicFu is a, 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 just a, an invaluable tool. I've got a, I think I showed it in, in, in October as well, products where uh, there was an example where one of my students actually had already put a product on Amazon and already had $9,000 worth of inventory with Amazon. And he couldn't sell them. And that was when he came to me and said, oh, I need some help. And then we, I just said, oh, I'm really, really worried about the design of your product. I, I just don't think this is resonating. We need to do a pick food test to, to put this to bed because we can, you know, we can flog a dead horse on with PPC and try and drive traffic as much traffic as we like, but I just don't think this is going to sell. When the results came back, only two people out of 50, maybe it was three, um, liked his product idea. You know, you cooked. So if he had a spent maybe a hundred dollars on a pick food poll and uh, pick actually gave me, uh, can I mention a, yeah, yeah, a, a coupon code just to Go save 50% it. on your first test. Um, it is an affiliate uh, coupon code. So I get like a dollar or two for, for each test, but it will save you 50% on your first one, which is a U seller, a U seller. Um, and then hopefully that'll, you know, um, save a bit of money for somebody. But anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, a, you know, 
had he done that test before he actually sent all that inventory and went through all that design and heartache and, and, and shipping and listing optimization and PPC and, you know, it would have uh, saved a lot of heartache down the line. So yeah, Pickfoo is one of my faves. Yeah. Mm. And have you also seen um, products that were winners on Pickfoo and they've gone ahead and, you know, sold really well on Amazon? Uh, yeah, I have. I've, I've seen quite quite a lot of those sort of um, okay. products. Absolutely, yeah. So it tends to work. I had one girl that did a uh, she did a particular type of shower curtain design, mm-hmm. um, and it just went bonkers. Mm. So yeah, that's that's the sort of um, I haven't seen anybody that's had a poor experience, or a good result on Pickfu and a terrible result on Amazon. Not yet. Okay. So I think it's one of the most important ones. The other tools that I tend to use though, uh, obviously Helium 10, which I've already mentioned. And I, and I use Helium 10 in really interesting ways. Sometimes I'll, I'll uh, look for, for keyword opportunities, for example, before I go and find a product. So I'll use uh, like um, just a quick tip, like I'll use Magnet, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the sort of parts of the tool set. Uh, and then I'll set the filters so that I'll, I'll just type in a keyword. Um, I don't know, like, I don't know, water or, or I'm just looking at any kind of keyword you can get out of the dictionary, like, like ruler. I'm just looking at a ruler in my office here. And, <coughs> um, and then I'll set the filters so that I want to see um, all the keywords where the minimum search volume on that uses that, that word in the, in the, in the phrase somewhere uh, less, uh, more than a thousand, but I'll also then look for, uh, but I'll also filter and remove all the keywords where there's a lot more, um, competition against that keyword, um, you know, around about sort of 500 might be the maximum amount of competitors that I want to see who are ranking on that keyword or index for that keyword. So it really comes down to supply and demand, right? So you've got the demand side, which is the search volume over a thousand people a month looking for something. And then you've got the supply side, which is there's less than 500 competitors. Uh, then you can start to see a, a filtered list of keywords uh, and then understand that, um, you know, there's all these opportunities here around these keywords that don't have demand or, or seeming on the surface. You've still got to jump on Amazon with that keyword to, to see whether people are, uh, you know, what the competition looks like and do all your usual due diligence about how many reviews they've got and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, that's sort of uh, another little hack there that I use sometimes okay. in terms that's of tools. Cool. Yeah. The last tool that I probably um, is also really critical, and I say I've fallen for this as well, um, is Keeper. So there's a big thing with Keeper is that unlike Helium 10, what Keeper does, it's K-E-E-P-A. I don't have an affiliate link for them, but um, basically they, what it does, it puts a graph or a graph, depends on where you're from in the world, but <laughs> how you say it, but, but it puts a graph or a graph onto every single Amazon detail page that you're looking at, every product page that you're looking at. And why Keeper is really good is it gives you an historical sort of view of how the product has performed over time. And also how long the product has actually been alive on Amazon. But really importantly, it also shows you when a seller was running a lightning deal. And that can be critical because lightning deals can massively skew the best seller rank. And I'm hoping that most of your listeners understand what a best seller rank yes, yes, is. Yes. But yeah, I've looked at products before and gone, wow, this seller is selling $100,000 worth of this product a month is the only seller or she's the only seller. And there's a huge opportunity for me to come in. Uh, and then it turns out that they'd run a lightning deal and that had massively kind of inflated the, the sales volume numbers on a tool like Helium 10 or Jungle Scout. So understanding the context around a product. So Keeper is really, really important. Yeah. So Keeper, Helium 10 and, uh, and Pickfoo are probably the big three that I use. 
Awesome. And so Helium 10 also shows um, up the historical sales of products, right? But it doesn't show lightning deal. Is that the That's correct, yeah. And Helium 10? Okay. Yeah, that's why I like to, I mean, keepers, I think it's about 100 euros a year or maybe about 100 US a year, but for 12 months, you know, for eight bucks a month, it's well worth it. So, okay, yeah, yeah that's pretty good. Mm. Okay, so cool, what cool. are, yeah, uh, great, great advice. Uh, so three tools there. Okay, and then what are some of the common mistakes that you see people making as far as product selection and validation is concerned? Um, I think we've covered quite a few, but the, Obviously, we've done keyword demand. I think the biggest, yeah. another big mistake that people make is just not doing the, getting the numbers right around financial validation. So, yeah, there's there's free tools. Well, actually, there's other tools that I can I can mention here. So, ecomcrew.com forward slash Amazon dash selling dash fees is a free Amazon fee calculator. Uh, so, if you don't, you can't you don't have enough money to afford Helium 10 or whatever you, because uh, uh, Helium 10 does have a profitability calculator as well. It's actually a lot better than the Ecom crew, but they're both the same in a lot of ways. And the Ecom crew have an excellent free uh, profitability calculator and margin calculator as well. So understanding um, if I can source this product for X amount and you put basically put all your numbers, all the dimensions of the product as it's shipped to an Amazon customer, understanding what your shipping is likely to look like uh, is, is going to look like in terms of how much it's going to cost. So you really need to understand what something is going to cost to get to a warehouse and then what you can realistically sell it for. And so financial validation, I think is um, somewhere where often where a lot of new sellers get in trouble. Um, so uh, that's a really, really important thing to look out for. I'd be also be across things like, you know, uh, duty costs and tariffs is another thing that can really trip people up. Um, obviously C freight versus air freight and the impact on cash flow. So, um, you know, Kevin King's got a really full on profitability, uh, and cash flow calculator as does Dolman Bateman here in Australia, up in Sydney. So I think if you go to Dolman, D O L M A N Bateman, B A T E M A N.com.au, you can go there and they've got a, a really cool cash flow calculator as well, just to sort of see how much money you're going to need to be able to reorder and do those sorts of, sorts of things. Um, what else have I got here on my notes? Uh, yeah, and you've got to, I guess the other thing is you've got to think about, you know, the cash that you're going to need up front for samples and photography and, and maybe a website. And you know, there's a lot of, there's quite a lot of costs involved. Um, all the gurus are saying it's really easy, but there's actually, there's a very complicated um, little world that you get yourself into, but it's a lot of fun when it works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then so for someone just starting out, what do you think is the minimum, you know, capital that's required to start this business? Oh, so tough. Um, <laughs> I know that Brandon Young says, look, if you've got a budget of X, then you can kind of work back based on right. the sort of product ideas that you might find. And he uses uh, Helium 10's black box, which is another sub tool of Helium 10 to, to kind of go, right, if I've got this sort of budget. And, and I know that Brandon actually came on your, he did a webinar with you, didn't he? Yes. And I think, I think I watched most of that. Did he also talk about the, um, you know, if you've got a budget of X, then this is the sort of product that you probably want to order. I think he did no, something he like that. Did he? I thought he mostly talked about, you know, the keyword search I think volume and he did the mm. multicolored spreadsheet, you know, with the, that's the, right. Yeah. Yeah. The columns. Are different oh, colors just, well. <laughs> that's changed my life actually. Having seen that workshop that he did, I think it was yeah. about May last year. Yeah. Totally changed the way um, that I approach um, keyword research in particular, but uh, where was I going? So yeah. What's a budget that you need? Look, I realistically don't think that you can really get in the game for anything less than 5,000 US. And that mm -hmm. would be really pushing things, to be honest. 
Having said that, though, I think that uh, it's one of the things I was talking about at the meetup last night, um, the, the Amazon sellers meetup here in Melbourne, uh, where I was talking about sourcing from India, was that the low MOQs that are available to you from suppliers in India and manufacturers in India, you know, really sort of like 25 units, 50 units, 100 units, it means that you can kind of go into a trade show like that and be able to procure quite small numbers or amounts of products that you can run them all and test. And so if you get one that runs off in terms of it, you know, you might have one or two that don't work, but if you get one that goes, then then you could possibly even sort of start to bootstrap your way up to um, a really successful Amazon career. So yeah, ideally five grand, but I still mm. think you could probably do it for, I still think realistically you're going to need at least 10. Yeah. Okay. These yeah, days. You've got mm. to factor in PPC as well, right? I mean, launching is a whole different oh, a whole like, topic, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a, I'll come back. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, so launch costs as well. I have mentioned that, but that is something else you've got to think about. I mean, look, if you can't match the sales of the existing sellers in its simplest form, if you can't match the existing sales of the, of the current sellers that are on Amazon for a keyword, Amazon is not going to look at you. So you need to launch your product. You need to budget for a certain amount of units that you can uh, heavily discount or do rebates or whatever other you know launching technique that you want to use but you've got to get that amount of sales to match theirs for amazon to even take notice of your product and start to rank it on the keywords that that you know that you need to rank for so yeah you've got a budget for that as well so there's a lot of a lot of sort of i wouldn't say hidden costs but unknown costs so a lot of the courses that are out there are saying oh you know you're you'll be driving a yacht in five years or five months. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, the reality is, is that, you know, you, you, you've got to do your budgeting and you've got to understand what all the costs look like um, prior to, you know, getting your first product live. Absolutely. Mm. Well, Chris, thank you so much. That's been, um, you know, a lot of sound advice, I would say. So um, how, you know, what, what, are, what specific services do you offer um Amazon sellers. I mean, you do a lot of consultancy, right? Can you tell us a little bit about how you work do, with Amazon yes. sellers? Mm-hmm. I do. So, well, I've got, I, I, I consult to uh, a, a few companies, both here in Australia and offshore. Uh, and then I also have a lot of um, private students, not a lot at the moment because it's just it's January as we're recording this. So it's a school holidays. I've got kids running around in the background. You probably <laughs> hear them. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll be getting a lot more into the private coaching, but I do have a uh, private coaching. So if you head over to the Australian forward slash Chris, uh, you can see my calendar there and, and book a time if you'd like to, um, you know, work through your product ideas or if you need some help with a mature business or not. And I'll try my best to help. Uh, so that they're the main things that I do. And obviously I sell myself. Um, last year I had actually a very interesting year where I bought an Amazon business um, about this time last year in January of 2019. And I was able to sell it, uh, after about nine months. Um, so that, that was quite a good exit. It wasn't, you know, huge life changing, but it was a really interesting thing. So I'm kind of this year, maybe even thinking about potentially trying to do that again. Um, so wow. yeah, trying to add a lot of strings to the bow this year. I'm probably taking away too much, but anyway, we'll see. So that's, that, that's so yeah. So you actually flipped an Amazon business. Huh? <laughs> I did look, I was actually planning to grow it long term, but uh, again, to, India and China and sourcing from China, what was happening was that a lot of the Chinese factories were starting to go direct and directly competing with the product that I was, the products that I was selling. Uh, and the, and the price began to collapse quite dramatically. Um, 
So it was, it was a hot potato. Mm. Um, so I was a little bit concerned about the future of the, of the product. Um, interestingly, an ex Amazon employee, uh, picked up the business through Empire Flippers. Oh. So, and I've been helping her as best I can to, um, you know, make a fist of, of the business. And I think she's doing okay. She's still, still doing quite well. So, yeah. Awesome. <coughs> brilliant. Mm. Um, okay, great. Thank you so much, Chris, for your time and for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. And I really look forward to seeing you in April. Thank you very much, Megler. I'm really, really excited too to see you as well and hang out. And yeah, yeah absolutely. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait. And hopefully, I can uh, bring a few folks from Australia as well. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll try my hardest. Awesome. Thanks for having All me, right. Megler. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye.